Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Kelly O'Hara is the most technically flawless singer on Broadway. I will not hear any other opinions at this time. Thank you. Oh my God, did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? Oh my God, guys. Jake has a podcast. I can't believe Jake has a podcast. Oh my God, Jake has a podcast. What's up, everybody? My name is Jake Workman, and this is Oh My Pod, you guys, a musical theater and pop culture podcast. You guys, you guys, last night I saw the mother of all mothers, our queen, Miss Kelly O'Hara, absolutely slay the house down in Days of Wine and Roses. You guys, this show was unbelievable. It's playing on Broadway at Studio 54, and it stars Kelly O'Hara, Brian Darcy James. The score is by Adam Gettle. It, it was incredible. It's such a haunting and touching portrayal of addiction and, and what it can do to a family. And the vocals are out of this world. The book is incredible. It's such brilliant storytelling. I cannot recommend this show enough. I, I was truly blown away. I cannot wait to see it again. And of course, I mean, mother. She is mother, Miss Kelly O'Hara. I mean, she knows I love her. She, I, I've already sung her praises to her face. But my Lord, the vocal technique is unparalleled. No one does it like Miss Kelly. I technically saw a preview performance, so I'm really interested to see if anything changes upon their official opening. But I cannot recommend it enough. Guys, run to see Days of Wine and Roses. And with that, you guys, we got to dive right into this week's Broadway World Recap, brought to you by my amazing friends at BroadwayWorld.com, because mama, there is tea. First, you guys, we have to talk about Ariana Maddox going into Chicago on Broadway as Roxy Hart starting on January 29th. You guys, Broadway World released an amazing interview with Ariana, and she just seems like an absolute doll. I cannot wait to meet her and get to talk to her backstage. I'm actually going to be standing by for Mary Sunshine again starting on January 29th. So her first performance, I will get to be in the building, which is so exciting. And we just got the announcement that a brand new Amos Hart is coming to the Broadway company, 
Red Concepcion is joining us also on January 15th. So I am just so excited to be back at The Ambassador with these amazing new people in these iconic roles. It's going to be so fun. So get tickets today, you guys. Come on down to The Ambassador and let us razzle-dazzle you. Next, you guys, we got the very exciting announcement that Stephen Sondheim's final musical, Here We Are, is going to release an original cast album this spring. I had the pleasure of seeing this show off-Broadway at The Shed, and I mean, I've already talked about it on the podcast. This this musical is cuckoo nutty pants, but I am so glad that they're releasing an album so that people who won't be able to see it in person will at least get to experience Sondheim's, you know, final work. It really is so beautiful, and they have some incredible singers in this cast, so I am looking forward to their release. Next, you guys, BroadwayWorld.com was live on the scene on the red carpet of the Mean Girls movie premiere. Now, I have not seen this movie yet, so I cannot judge, but let me tell you, this red carpet was packed with celebrities. Queen Lindsay Lohan made an appearance. My God. I, I'm just so excited for everybody who got to be part of this movie. I know, you know, say what you will about Mean Girls, to the Mean Girls musical, to the Mean Girls movie musical, but girl, Renee Rapp, I have no words. I Renee, if you're listening, come on the pod. Come on the podcast. We'll have a good time. You guys, if you are seeing any of Renee's promo materials for this, not promo materials, but like her interviews, she is not holding back. She is saying whatever she wants. I'm living. She is a bi icon, a bi con, and I live. This red carpet looked so fun. It was, you know, people from the original movie, people from this new movie, people from the original Broadway cast. I just love that we all get to celebrate this ridiculous, hilarious show together. So I cannot wait to see the movie. Check out all of the photos and videos from the premiere on broadwayworld.com. And lastly, you guys, we got the amazing announcement that the stage adaptation of Prince's Purple Rain is going to make its world premiere. There has been buzz about a Prince biopic, a Prince movie musical, a Prince stage show for a long time. But this is going to be the first time that we get a full musical based on Purple Rain with all of the original music. I'm so excited. It's going to be directed by Liliana Blaine Cruz. It has a book by two-time Pulitzer Prize finalist Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, and it just so happens to be produced by fellow Hart School graduate Orrin Wolf, which we love to see. You guys, I have been a fan of Prince for so long. I think he's so fascinating as a pop culture figure. He's a sex symbol, a musical icon, and this movie was amazing. And so I think it's perfect for the stage. I can't wait to see what they do with it. And of course, I will keep you updated on the podcast with all things Purple Rain. And you guys, this has been the Broadway World Recap. Oh my pod, you guys. I am so excited to welcome my next guest to the show. She is a brilliant stage manager, production assistant, talent wrangler, gorgeous queen angel please welcome <laughs> my friend tia harewood millington welcome Hi, to the honey. podcast how are Hi. you i'm so good i'm so happy to be here thank you so much for being here would you tell the listeners where are you calling in from i'm calling in from a blessedly snowy day in new yeah. york city in south harlem <laughs> yeah Yes, it's finally snowing. We I, I was like I have never been so happy. Gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the last time it girl? snowed was like 2019. 
Um, no, it's like, I, I'm a Four Seasons girl. I grew up in Denver, Colorado. Like, okay. I like my true Four Seasons. So yes. I hate it when it's here and, like, it's cold and there's no snow. And New York hasn't right. gotten, like, real snow in a very long time. So I'm like a kid on Christmas morning right now. I just, know. like, staring out the window like I've never seen snow in my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Well, I, I'm being a Minnesota girly, I, I connect with the Four Seasons. I want the fall and then mm-hmm. as soon as the winter comes i'm like okay i would like it to be spring and summer again <laughs> thank correct. you correct <laughs> correct <Yeah. laughs> well i'm so excited to have you here because we have much to talk about but i do think i just have to start by saying how funny it is that we connected in the first place literally at a bar in hell's kitchen baby as as true new yorkers do we met at haswell greens we surely did we surely (laughs) did at my friend's birthday (laughs) and we were just like wait i like you and then it just became (laughs) what's crazy is that i think like if I if I don't actually really think about it, I would say that like you were just there for my friend Nick's birthday, but you weren't. Yeah. You right. and Liv were just there, <laughs> yeah. and we were like, we like you, and you were like, we like you, and for some reason, we all ended up in the same area. Yes, but okay, because you guys had come from an event, right? Like you guys had just, or maybe that's like why you guys were well, all in the group. Yeah, together, that so that group. Yeah, that group was a group of dancers, um, and we had all just done a performance at the Met Gala um, together. And I was their I was their stage manager, and Nick was a baby, and it was literally his twenty (laughs) first birthday. And we were all like, "We're going out for Nick's twenty first birthday." And that shout out Nick Alvino. Um, (laughs) That group we just like clicked so well. We had like ten days of rehearsal before the Met Gala, and like that group of dancers just got along so well. And it was such a lovely group that we wanted to continue to spend time together. So we went out for Nick's birthday and then I ran into Jake and Liv. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. And shout out to my queen, Olivia Fenton on the pod. Miss her. Um, Wait. Okay. So tell me about the Met Gala because when you were like, Oh yeah, like we're, we're with this group, you know, of dancers and whatever they just performed. And then you were like, and I, I'm their stage manager for their Met Gala performance. How do you even become like, how does that work as, as a stage manager, where do you um, like make those connections and like, get affiliated with something as huge as the Met Gala? That was a once in a lifetime random off chance that landed in my lap by the grace of, I think the closest thing we have to a God on earth, which is yeah. Madam Rachel Chavkin. Um, yes. Queen who, Rachel Chavkin. Who I adore just as a human, as an artist, like truly just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person. Um, but we had gotten like virtual coffee because this was still kind of like coming out of pandemic times. Right. Um, I was an intern ASM on a show she did at Williamstown Theater Festival in the summer of 2018. And Met Gala was 2021 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I adore her. And so I keep up with her often. She's just such, she's just like a great person. Like if you ever get the chance to like meet and, and spend time with Rachel Chapkin, like it is a blessing. Um so but we were just chatting and, and I had mentioned to her like a year or so previous that I really wanted to start doing more events. Um, 
outside of theater. And for some reason, she remembered that like very tiny conversation and we were getting coffee and she was like, I'm doing this thing that I can't tell you about, but I need a stage manager. <laughs> In true you- theater fashion. I'm doing yeah. something that I can't tell you about. Would you like to be a part of it? <laughs> and I was like, Rachel, I would work on a show floating in the middle of the Hudson river for you. Like, I don't care. Um, And she connected me with the company that produces it. And was basically like, this is who I would love to come in and do this project with us. And that's how I ended up on that project. Um, And it was her and, and co-directed and choreographed by Raja Feather Kelly, who I also worked on the same show with in 2018 Uh, with Rachel and it was just like that was a lovely reunion to like get to like be back in the room with the two of them and then to just be introduced to these like 25 wonderfully talented and and, and amazing dancers that I'd never met before either it was just like it was arguably one of the best 10 days of my life (laughs) it's incredible and then you went to the Met Gala which is like Yes. Would be a life-changing experience, I think, for someone who, like, I mean, I myself don't plan on getting invited to the Met Gala, so. Never say never. True, true. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. Of course I'll go to the Met Gala, but um, that would have just been so crazy. What, tell me about, like, the actual, um, like, performance, because I would imagine that, like, there are hundreds of different like talent wranglers and PAs and everything and you are in charge of this like one group how does it how does it work at an event like the Met Gala like when you arrive where do you even go well I think that's like it's kind of generalized even outside of just Met Gala and I have to like think about what I can actually even tell you about this oh yeah I don't know (laughs) what what is like tell us the ins and outs of security at the Met Gala What I can talk about it as like as like a whole of like big events like that, it's like there's always like specific holding area for talent and like you work with whoever the production company is as to like what their schedules are, when there are sound checks, when there are rehearsals, what run throughs you're doing. Um, and then usually day of the event, like it's you, there's a whole schedule. You are a very tiny, tiny cog in a very, very big wheel. Right. Um, so it's like, I'm only controlling this group of people and like getting them to the spot that they need to get to, getting them through their performance and getting them like off the stage, right? Everything else is handled by a much larger group of people that have wow. been advancing this event for months. Okay. I came in very late into this process because I was only needed for like this tiny, this tiny part of the process, but when you're on the production team for those events, you have started advancing that like eight, nine months in advance and you're just piecing things together as you come. So day of it was pretty much like, let me just make sure that this group of people has everything they need, that they end the costume and makeup and whatnot, that we get Mm -hmm. up there at the right time, that they do everything, that all the sound works, that like just checking in with every technical department, checking in with my supervisors of the production company that hired me. Um, and just getting them through the performance and then getting off the stage. So it's it's much less involved when you are brought in like, you know, a week and a half before the event. Sure. 
um, which I love, actually. I have learned. <laughs> I was like, mm, I really enjoy being brought in like right before this thing happens and then leaving right, right after it ends. Hands off. I just get to like do my little thing and then say goodbye and I don't have to worry about any of the other shit. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Well, you, Tia, are the first stage manager that I've had on the podcast. And I'm so excited because- Oh my God. I, it's such a like- I guess I should say, oh my pod. <laughs> yes. Oh my pod. But like stage management is such a huge component of, of what we do, not just musical theater, but clearly, you know, in in like performance events and, and all of things like that. But um, I'm just so excited to hear about your perspective because- you are a stage manager. You worked on six, the national tour of six, which is I did. amazing. And we, we can of course talk about like the female empowerment there, but I just, um, I think it's so amazing that you are a black woman in a like male dominated and white dominated industry, um, holding such a position of power. Um, and I just can't wait to hear about it. Like, I guess before we even talk about the shows that you've stage managed, did you go to school for this? Is this something that like you knew you wanted to do and work on? I did. Um, I got a BFA in specifically theater arts and then a concentration in stage management. The way that my school worked, um, shout out Hofstra University on Long Island, was yes. that you either got a degree in performance or production there weren't we weren't a big enough school for you to get like specifically a degree in set design um so sure. we all got production degrees and then within that production degree you had a concentration um so our curriculum was built of like every single part of production like you had a stage management class you had a lighting class you had a sound class um and then like heavy design elements. So like we were like watercoloring and like designing full ass costumes Word. for fucking 12th night. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse <laughs> on this. I am so sorry. Oh, of course um, you are. I, I sound like a sailor. So <laughs> preface that. Um, but specifically for me, because my concentration was stage management, I would do my classes and then we'd all get assignments every semester as like what show you're working on in what capacity. Um, so I just started stage managing on shows as like ASMing my freshman year on the shows that our faculty would put me on and got my degree that way. Um, so I'm very happy that I get to actually use my degree and Hell yeah. <laughs> I think that in itself <laughs> is, is something to be quite jubilant about. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I did, I went to school for this and, um, I, I, I always have like very mixed feelings about college cause I personally really loved my college experience, but I know it's not also necessarily for everyone. Sure. Um, but I think, I really think in addition to some of like the basics that college taught me, it was my internships at Williamstown that like really told me what this was like and what yeah. and what I needed to know. Um, <laughs> and clearly connected yeah. to, to people like Rachel Chavkin, who, you know, that's like invaluable as a, as a working stage manager. Yeah. What a lovely human. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Wow. And, okay. So yeah. what, so the trajectory of you 
getting your degree and you know you talked about internships like i would imagine like over summers and all of that while Mm -hmm. like throughout your collegiate experience what do you then like gear up to do when you're like okay i'm i'm hitting the ground running in new york city i have my degree and like what what is a first step for a stage manager because i just i'm so like you know hyper focused in the the world of being a performer that i don't even mm-hmm. know like like is it important as a stage manager to join the union as soon as possible because we are in the same union we're yes in yeah actors equity which i think is funny that it's even called that because it's not just actors, i know but, like, what do you do as a non-union stage manager before the switch to becoming a union stage manager? Um, so one, joining the union isn't necessarily necessary. Um, I think that depends on, like, each person's individual, like, trajectory. Because I think some people book, like, a non-union tour very quickly. And, like, that is how they work their way up in the industry and then eventually maybe join the union. Um, for me, it was a little different because I almost don't really know what it's like to not be unionized. I graduated in spring 2019. I did a second summer at Williamstown as an intern. And then I moved to the city in the fall because I was offered a PA job on a play called The New Englanders. Um, and that was a non-union job because you are a production assistant. And as of now, production assistants are not covered by Actors' Equity. So right. that was a non-union job. Um, and then right after that job, I was offered an ASM contract on a show called One and Two, which was an equity contract. So I was non-union for a total of like two months of my professional career and then (laughs) was offered this job. And I was like, okay, sure. Like I'll take the chance. Um, And people always talk about like really weighing that option of if you take your union card, are you going to be able to secure union work? Like, is that something you can do? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a bit, different for stage managers than it is for actors too because after I did that show I went back to a PA job which is a non-union job which technically I'm allowed to do because it's not covered by the union but it's also weird because you're like I shouldn't really technically be taking non-union work but I'm allowed to and it's like odd um Mm -hmm. but I did a PA job because it was for a Broadway show and I was like well this is like a good step in yeah. my career. Um, so I, I, after I ASM'd, I PA'd on uh, How I Learned to Drive the Revival that was going to Broadway um, with a lovely team and just like a great room of people. I've been very lucky, actually. I'm going to just like point that out. <laughs> right. I'm going to point that out real, real quick. I have been very, very lucky to work with groups of people that I have incredibly enjoyed. Um, But yeah, so I did that and then a pandemic hit. Oh, little, little known. Just a little thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so like that was my trajectory pre pandemic of when it comes to like the union, not being unionized, all of that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But much like going to college, I think is a specific thing for certain people. 
and it works for some people and doesn't work for some people, I would say joining the union early is the same thing where I think it works for some people. I have been very blessed in that. Like it has worked for me so far. So good. Knock on wood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people have made wonderful careers being a non-union stage manager for a solid amount of years first before even going into the union. And then they had this yeah. great career behind them, all this experience behind them that I think made people also take them seriously. Um, totally. It's very interesting being the usually the youngest person in the room. I'm like now getting to the point where I'm not always the youngest person in the room, which feels very nice. <laughs> but yeah. it's like odd being like, it's your off-Broadway debut and you're like the second in charge in the room and you're like 22 so (laughs) that's fierce though come on okay so then tell me what how do you secure jobs because i'm just so in the in the world of um auditions and callbacks and that sort of thing so like how do you even i don't even know how a stage manager like presents their package or like presents themselves as you know a a worker how do you do that do you have like a, is, I mean, obviously you have like a resume of like previous credits and stuff but like is it just like word of mouth I, a lot of it is word of mouth um i think it's it's like a mixture right and once again it depends on how you do things right. um i think for me going through the the schooling and internship route a lot of it is past resumes as well Um, especially when you're young and people are looking for PAs for their rooms. I think a lot of it is, I got your resume from so-and-so, I got your name from so-and-so. And And when I was an intern there, you know, there are like 15 stage management interns and like six equity stage managers that are there every summer, right? So like, those are your first connections. Those are the people that like recognize who you are, see how you work and think about like, should I bring this person on my next show who's a PA? And like, so there's like that. And then there's also just like, once you start working the random word of mouth of like, oh, I've worked with so-and-so and and I love them. Or like, oh yeah, like I've never worked with this person, but like, I know them as a person and like, I really enjoy them. So Mm -hmm. I think word of mouth is a stage manager's strongest asset. Wow. In a way, because you have to be with a, a team of people that you are okay with spending so many hours of your life with. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So many hours of your life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in, like, the worst parts of your life and the most sleep-deprived part of your life. Like, so much of it is not about how well your paperwork is or, like, how pretty you can make it. So much of it is, is this a person that when everything feels like shit is hitting the fan – I'm happy to be in a room for 16 hours with this person right. and like and know that we're going to get through it. it down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wow. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. 
laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, for, for people who may not know, myself included, could you maybe break down the difference between the work that a PA does and the work that an ASM or a stage manager does on a project? Because they, yeah. they're all on the same project, just doing different things. Mm-hmm. So usually a PA is, I kind of describe the PA as the person that like makes sure that the tiny things in the room are always running so that like, the other members of the stage management team can think about the bigger things. So like when I was PAing, a lot of it was like making sure that like hospitality was like constantly refreshed and clean and like keeping track of like what we were low on, what we were going to be out of pretty soon. Like, should I go make a grocery run? Like a lot of it, this has kind of changed recently, which is, which is nice too. But a lot of it also used to be like, page distribution when it came to scripts if you're working on a new work but now a lot of people are actually hiring um script pas which is like super helpful for the stage management team yeah Um, amazing so it's like it's being it's like the pa's job is to assist in like all the really small ways that are super significant that you don't realize if they're not done right like This is the person who does occasionally do a coffee run, but also is the person that's like, oh, we need this office supply and they're going to go pick up this errand and pick up this office supply and also maybe stop here and grab something while they're out and bring it back to the room. Um, but I don't know. I I personally always love the PA in the room. I just think that like, I just have had such a high respect for PAs and like yeah. everything that they do. And I, I also love watching how they interact with the with the actors as well. Because um, I think the best PAs that I've ever worked with are the ones that, like, make an attempt to, like, have a relationship with the actors in the room and not just totally. sit behind the table. Totally. Um, but I think that's, I think that's the, the shining quality in any person who is sitting behind a table in a rehearsal room. It's like, have you made an attempt? To, like have a relationship with the people on the other side of the table because to me that is what makes the show work that's what makes the whole process work and i i'm big on relationships i'm big on community especially in a rehearsal room so mm-hmm. you will never find me not spending time with the cast and the creatives and the crew like outside of the workspace like i think it's so necessary totally. um, but but that is like the sphere of the PA and then we get to like the ASMs and a lot of that is tracking and making sure that like all the documentation is up to date and clear when it comes to props when it comes to costumes when it comes to how much time do we have on this side of the stage when this person runs off and needs to change is that enough time do we need to build in more time like making sure that your spikes are set, making sure that like when they say, actually, we're going to go back to this scene. That's like four scenes ago that you know how to like 
set the room and like get it back into the space that you were because hmm. I find being an assistant stage manager your your biggest asset is being able to think both forward and backward at the same time yeah um and it's like if we jump here that means that this prop has moved to this side of the stage and then back to this side of the stage and then back to this side of the stage so I need to go here and like set this here and like just having that constant thought process, which is usually why there's more than one of you in the room, um, <laughs> yeah. which is very helpful because sometimes when you're by yourself, you're like my brain like, can't keep ah! up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's mostly just like making sure that the room can always function in whatever section of the show that you guys need it to function in. Um, and I think building a strong relationship with your other assistant stage managers is what makes that work super well. Having a really good communication flow, then like that is what is going to make the the process as smooth as possible. Mm -hmm. Then we have the PSM who I usually refer to as the head bitch in charge. And in this, (laughs) in this, in this situation, bitch is a gender neutral term. It does not matter who it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but they are, there's so much more to their job than I think a lot of people in the room see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when you're in the room, you see the PSM as the person who is recording blocking and calling the breaks and like making sure that the schedule is being adhered to. Um, and then outside of the room, like they are having constant communication with every single department about this show. And whether that's like something with the set that we've noticed in rehearsal may not possibly work when we get to the theater space, whether it's um, scheduling fittings and making sure that those fittings work within union rules and also people's conflicts and like everything working with a director's schedule, working with a choreographer's schedule, just making sure that all of these pieces work. That's where the PSN comes in. Like that is their whole job. And I think, so often people do not see 90% of their job. Like they're like, Oh, like they run the rehearsal room and they call the show. And I'm like, yes. And they also make sure that literally everything outside of the show works too. Like (laughs) on bigger shows and like when we're like out on tour, like they are coordinating with press about like what can and can't be done with an actor's time when they have to go do press and like, it's just like, it's everything. It is absolutely everything. Madness. And it is, yeah. I never want to do it. I do not want to be a PSM. <laughs> and I, I came to that conclusion maybe like a year and a half, two years ago. And I was like, oh, that's not for me. That is not for me. And I am fine with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think something happens to all stage managers in your, like, mid, in your mid-20s, getting to your late 20s, where you're like, you really figure out if you're like, I want to be a PSM, or if you're like, I do not want to be a PSM. And I yes. think learning that is incredibly important. Incredibly important. I think sometimes totally both in acting and in production, you get a little distracted by the title. You get a little distracted by like what makes it seem like you have like really ascended and like the clout and whatnot. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh no, I can do my job just fine. And it doesn't need to be all of just this. Fine. I am not Thank suited you. for that. Certain people right. are suited for it and they do it exceptionally. And I am not one of those people. I mean, I, I just have the utmost respect for anyone 
who can handle a, a stage management position because it's no joke. And, you know, you talked about it a little bit, but forging relationships with the performers and the creative team as as you know someone on the stage management side of things i think is so important because from my perspective as an actor it it allows me to feel um safe and secure in being able to ask for what i need or to express you know my thoughts or like you know just anything i mean it's you guys are on top of what you guys are all doing you just like maybe shamefully have also sort of like been depended on as like therapists for the people in the room who are like I'm losing my mind I can't remember my blocking I can't remember my song where's my prop and you guys are the ones who are like it's right here sweetie calm the fuck down like what is that like being like so depended on honestly it's like I think it really depends I think it really depends for the most part, I think everyone is truly just like, they just, everyone just like needs the support, like, which is yeah. fine. Like, we're happy to give the support. <laughs> it's really okay. Oh my God. Our, our whiny actors. It's fine. Like, it is fine. Like, truly, I, I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I'm like, this is too much. <laughs> um, but I think it's also like one of those things where, once again, as time has gone on and as we've learned a bit more about people and like holding space and grace for people too, it's like, I don't know what this person is coming into the rehearsal room with. I don't. Unless they really choose to share it with me, I have no clue what this person is coming in the rehearsal room with. And if I see that like one day, like it's just too much for them and they just really need the support, that's all my job is, is to offer the support. Like, And not only my job as a stage manager, that's just my job as a human being in the world. It's like, I'm just going to offer you the support that you need. And like, you're going to tell me. And Tia are a wonderful (laughs) person. Like, aside from your brilliance in your job, you are also just that girl who will be like, come over here. (laughs) I just don't like seeing people stressed. I don't like seeing people worried. And the way I look at it is I'm like, we do fucking play practice for right. our jobs you know yeah. totally like, it's not that it's, deep baby like we all spent too many hours on like a couch in a sound booth in a high school theater at some point like it's it's not it's never gonna be that serious and i don't like people thinking that it has to be that serious all the time right. too you know like i think i think creative people in general regardless of whether you're a performer or not, like are their biggest critics in so many ways. And I'm like, babe, it's okay. Right. It's going to be fine. <laughs> you're allowed to make a mistake. It's, I don't know why you're yelling at yourself for not knowing that line. It, the whole monologue changed yesterday. It's okay. Right. <laughs> like, right. I you know, know I put the pages in your fucking script. So I know it's changed. So I think it's just like holding space for people and like, really making them feel like a mistakes are okay mm-hmm. b having a bad day is okay as long as we can like work through it and like not let it affect like how you treat people but like you are allowed to feel you are allowed to emote like mm-hmm. all of that is fine like i'm not yeah. i'm never going to like ask you to stifle yourself for this room 
we do not do that. It's it's just not necessary. So period. I, I'm I'm fine. I'm totally fine to offer the support where it's needed when it's needed because I just mm-hmm. like why not? Like Thank it's not God. a good enough reason not to. <laughs> Thank God for people like you. So then beyond the experience of the rehearsal room, once you have set a show and gotten through tech and everything, it's up and running. Tell me about that sort of um maintenance of a show like six being out on the road you're on the national tour of this very busy big what like 90 minute concert basically Mm -hmm. how how is that different than you know being in the rehearsal room and pausing and talking about things and taking breaks like what is it like to to run a show like that that one is interesting because like you said it's 90 minutes and there's no intermission and they never come off stage they never come off the stage (laughs) they come off stage for like a total of i think maybe like 58 seconds like for the entirety of the house of holbein yes and after all you want to do oh sure okay yeah so like the hardest thing about that show for me was like the anxiety of like, if something goes wrong, there's never a chance for them to come off stage. <laughs> yeah. And so um, did there, like, were there instances of that? I mean, we we had a conversation at the beginning where we're like, if something is really like going on, just leave. Like, just leave. Like, it really doesn't matter. Like, the show is the show. Who cares? Like, if something is wrong... Like, come off the stage. <laughs> yeah. We know it's not blocked. We're going to know that something is wrong if you're exiting, and we're going to be ready to handle it. Like, just just come off stage. Um, so it would depend. Like, sometimes if there were... A, a common thing in Six the Musical is that the little, like, grommets that are on the costumes, which are, like, those little circles that, like, are all over the place and, like, different colors and whatnot, sometimes they fall off. And then they get stuck in the heels of their boots because they're rubber. And then and then it's slippery because then you're sliding on the floor. So sometimes, right. like, if they had a moment and there was, like, a grommet stuck in their shoe, they'd, like, come off the side and be like, there's something stuck in my shoe. Um, and we'd, like, you know, have wardrobe come get it out. Because, like, that right. is a serious thing, like, where they're, like, slipping and they're like, well, we don't want oh, you yeah. to fall. Right. Break your ankle dancing. Yeah. So, like, there are instances like that where they'll come off or, like, very very rarely like if something in a costume got unhooked um my girls were so good at just like trying to just fix it themselves like on stage like helping out just helping out my friend over here like (laughs) putting her costume back together um which is like crazy because like they are the sturdiest costumes i've ever seen in my life but they're also doing a 90 minute hit workout in heels literally and like belting and scrouting and serving face the entire time so of course naturally like something is going to maybe pop open when you're giving it 175 percent um but yeah so like there are like instances like that where it was like a a, a random one-off thing where like they need to come off stage for something and um it's just always interesting when it's like we have no time built in for you to come off stage so right it's like everyone's on a high alert. The second you see someone walking towards the wing, you're like, what is wrong? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. So are you guys just like on the deck level, just like full binoculars, just watching yes. everything? 
Yes. <laughs> just waiting for something to go wrong. Yes. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The that deck track wild. of the deck track of Six the Musical is basically standing in the wings on either side, watching, truly watching to like because also if there is something really wrong, for the most part, what you've got with your actors in that show is eye contact. Yeah, it is eye contact and like figuring out like is some is it like borderline a problem or like is it something you're wanting to warn me about so that I can like get wardrobe standing by for when you can exit like Mm -hmm. you know so a lot of it is is eye contact and just like really sitting there to be like what's going on are we good okay cool yeah wow so as an ASM are you always in the same track or or is it like similar to um like some actors who like swing do you do you know all of like the asm tracks so that you're able to like jump in and do what someone else would normally do yeah it also depends on the show too so sure on six we ran a one person deck track um so only one person was on the deck each night and then one person was calling um so in that case like there's one person in the office should anything go wrong and they could jump into either the deck track or the calling track on some shows, if the deck is way, like way busier, you're going to have a person running stage left, a person running stage, right. Um, maybe more than that, depending on how big the show is. Right. And in that case, yes, everyone is going to know what the other track is in case Someone has to be out and you need to shift tracks. That's why you hire a sub so that they can learn all the tracks and slot in where they need to slot into. Um, so it, it's similar in the way of like being a swing, except for the fact that like we don't have to learn two and a half hours of dance and lines and, and, <laughs> and vocal parts. It's mostly just like, I'm going to go to this side of the stage today and move these things around and make sure that this but, curtain is paged. <laughs> but they're so integral. Like what if you don't? What if oh, incredibly so. Don't know the track. And incredibly then, oh, God, so. Page the curtain and now three people just crashed into each other and there's a baton falling. And like, I mean, what you guys do is so amazing. I, I have. What you guys do is so amazing. That's the greatest part about this is that like the skill sets are so vastly different that it's yes. like, you can't imagine doing my job and I could not imagine doing your job. Right. <laughs> and I, I have had the, you know, incredible pleasure to watch Chicago from the deck backstage. Oh, that's cool. The stage managers call the show and it is wild. I mean, it's like something I've never seen. You, I mean, you, you, you know, joked that you don't have to like learn two and a half hours of the material but like you as a stage manager are just as in tuned to the blocking to the the choreography because you're sometimes taking and calling cues off of yeah choreography you're taking cues off of like music like just hitting the button of a number you have to anticipate the beats of the song like how do you that is so wild to me can you tell me about like learning to call a show specifically a show like six where it's like so much happens in one musical number like so many yeah. cues so well many i'll talk like- i'll talk about six and then i'll also talk about just like calling a, a, a musical in general because yeah. six six operates a little differently okay um 
the majority of six is to time code. So a lot of the times it's like you're calling one queue and it sets off the time code and then all the other queues are already programmed into where they need to go because that is how they, that's how they set it up in the UK. Um, and that is how they brought it over to here. Um, I, I feel like if it, if it had been started here and set up here, we would be live calling that show. Like, yeah. Because that's just like that's what we're trained to do. That's what we would have mm-hmm. done. Um, but they set it up so that it is time coded, and so it's it, it's very different. There are sections that you are live calling, and then for the majority of the time, almost all of the songs are to time code. So you're just kind of like starting it, making sure that it's still going when it needs to still go, just in case because there are events where time code goes out for X, Y, and Z reasons, and then like mm-hmm. you jump in and you, and you call the show. So six is mainly time-coded in that sense. Musicals in general, I think that once again depends on the stage manager and how they best learn. Some people are strictly counts type of people where when it comes to calling cues to music and they they just want to know like on what count am I calling things. I kind of work in like a mixture of the way of like I read music. So I'm I'm very in tune with what the counts are, but I also I'm going off of movement. I'm going off of like a mixture of those two things and like mainly just like what you like feel in the body, right? So like you're gonna watch this thing happen in rehearsal so many times. You're gonna learn it just from watching it. You're gonna know right. that like this actor turns at a slightly different time than this actor turns. So depending on who's in for the role the cue that you're calling might be slightly different, even right. though it's going to hit at the same moment in the music, right? So it's like, okay, maybe I call that cue based on music and not on movement, and the other one I have to call on movement and not on music. So mm-hmm. it just kind of depends. Um, but I think if you are like a musically in tuned person, calling a musical is so fun. Like it is just absolutely sure. the best. Um and I got my start in theater through the pit orchestra in like high school. So music oh, yeah. is kind of like where I land in my brain yes. of a lot of things. Um, so it's just like, it's, it's so fun to just like figure out how you're going to call this specific thing differently than you would have something else. Totally. Oh, well, and to, to get even like a little deeper and a little more specific too, like, when you are even just like in general talking about like calling a show, when you're saying things like light 47 go, mm-hmm. that is happening uh, like in anticipation to when it actually needs to happen because yeah. you're not the one pressing the button to, Correct. to change the lights. So like if you are, if the button of the number is on eight and there's some huge light cue or something that happens on the button, you're calling it what two counts before so that it hits on eight, like I, it, the things that you do is so it, it they're wild to me. Yeah, it depends on like what what the song is, and it's like it also depends on your light board op, right? So like you're learning that in tech, you're building that relationship with your board op your board operators in tech, and you figure out how quickly their fingers move. So uh-huh. you figure out when to give standbys and when to call based on that. Um, which is why we love tech. It's like, it, it's, it's, right. it's, it's, it's finally getting to like mesh all these things together 
and build that language with your board ops. And I find that to be the most fun part of the process of like figuring, figuring out that, that rhythm. Um, totally. But yeah, sometimes it's like, sometimes I'm calling it two beats before. Sometimes I'm calling it on the offbeat of like, if, if the button is on eight, maybe I'm calling it on six and a half, like six and instead of six or seven. And I know I have to call it on this offbeat in order for it to like hit the button and then also show up at the right time. Um, Wild. But that's, that's the fun part. That's the that's fun so part. Cool. It's just, it's just like a part of my brain that I, I don't know how to access and like it's so cool to me and yeah I mean I said it before but like getting to watch people call shows is just so like exhilarating because I'm like you guys have all the control and I think that it that's also so interesting too just as a performer you know we always talk about like the the hurry up and wait of tech and you know you might do something five times to get it right in tech and then you're moving forward and you haven't done that in five days and then you're back to act one and oh my god I have to hit this cue right but like it's so fun to be reminded that like there are so so many things and so many departments with balls in the air when I'm just standing there while someone builds a light cue it's (laughs) and it could it could feel like you know you're standing there for 45 minutes and you're like what could possibly be taking so long and you Mm -hmm. have no idea that like all of these people are like uh i don't know how you call a show and you don't know how quick i am at hitting the buttons so we're gonna figure it out together like that is just wild to me it's so cool yeah it's a good time that's why like i think shadowing tech for students is the best Mm -hmm. just the absolute best because like that's where you really get to see everything yeah and like this is this is where it either happens or it doesn't this is where we say this works and this doesn't work um yeah yeah, i love tech it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's so cool. Well, and then do you also, like, is there is there freedom, you know, outside of the the cues that you take to be like i can't go yet or i it's not safe to go like i i remember obviously i went to school for musical theater but my freshman year i was on run crew that's like what you do at Mm -hmm. school is like the freshman year you are learning how to do all of the stage crew things and um i remember (laughs) one time i was calling or no i wasn't calling i was i was um on crew for nicholas nickleby which was insane it was like a seven hour show and um 
there was a there was a drop that I had to fly in and we, we were doing it with this giant built up turntable and there were sections of it where the drop could fly in and fit within the turntable and then there were sections of it where it wouldn't it wouldn't work if it was in the wrong position and so I could see the turntable turning and hitting the wrong position and my stage manager is going go fly fly go like what what are you doing and I was like "Uh, okay so I flew it in of course it crashes into the (laughs) the turntable and I'm like was I wrong I (laughs) I don't know how you guys do this I mean how how we do it (laughs) Is we have a whole team of people, right? So it's like that your ASMs are are giving clears to your PSM, right? Like there's there's timings of things. So it's like mm-hmm. we on the deck are letting the PSM know when this space has been cleared of actors and also of like any sort of set piece or whatnot, if there's a possibility that they can't see it, depending on where they're calling from and depending on what the camera angle is that they Uh have, we're giving those clears. So we're telling them either this hasn't moved yet, like it's not clear or clear and they can go ahead and hit the switch and the carp can bring in whatever they need to bring in from, from above. It just like it, it's a whole system Yeah, like, I mean, people, I don't think people realize that, like, you guys literally have, like, bird's eye view cameras. There are monitors yes. so that you guys can see the PSM. There set pieces, because especially in Broadway theaters, there is zero room. So set pieces are literally dangling above our heads backstage, waiting to be flown in so that we can use them for five minutes and then flown back out. Like, it's so cool. I just, again, I'm I'm just so in awe of what you guys are able to do while we are just freaking ding-donging around on stage <laughs> kickball change kickball change and honestly it makes it makes my life the the backstage antics that actors do is hilarious <laughs> to me it is hilarious to me how y'all will be it's truly just cutting up and then go straight back out on stage and know exactly where your line was and just like pick, and i'm like what what i'm distracted Oh my God. When, when, you know, people who have been doing shows like, like Charlotte is just so comfortable in Chicago because she's been there for so long and she, she's just incredible in this role. It's like in her bones. So she'll literally be like mid sentence with me and she'll be like, yeah. And then, you know, me and, oh, I gotta go and like step onto the stage. And she's like in it again. I'm like, how do you do this? It's wild to me. (laughs) Don't know. Don't know. But at the same time, it's like, I could say the same thing of like, when you're at the colleague desk having a conversation with someone and then all of a sudden you just turn back and you're like, and this needs to go and this needs to go and this needs to go. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like I think we all just pick it up. We all learn what we need to learn. You know, when to check in, you know, when you're allowed to check out to have a conversation about something else. Like it's just, totally, it makes no sense sometimes. Like if I really <laughs> sit there and like think about what we do for a living, I'm like, what is happening? What are we doing? Um, okay. Well, before I let you go, I have a series of musical theater rapid fire questions. Oh God. Every guest. It's not trivia. These are, these are. Okay, good. Just for you. Cause look, she may have a degree, but she is not knowledgeable (laughs) on the musical theater. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Here we go. Are you ready? Yes. Sondheim or Andrew Lloyd Webber? Sondheim. Sweatpants or jeans? 
sweatpants. <laughs> I look, no, that's a funny question, Jake, because everybody in my life knows that I don't wear denim. I don't wear denim. <laughs> oh my god, title of episode. <laughs> yes, Tia don't wear denim. Does not wear denim. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. She doesn't. I'm dead. Uh, do you have a favorite musical? God. Um probably Witness Uganda, which was previously called Invisible Thread, which was here off-Broadway in 2015. Um, and it is... Was that at MTC? Um, it was at Second Stage. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. And um, one of the writers and... I'm a composer. That's the word I'm looking for. Is the same composer for Olympica which is oh, also one of my favorite musicals that I think is wonderful. So those, oh, those you two. Worked, you worked on it, didn't you? At Williamstown. Lempica in 2018, yeah. Wow, oh my God. So do you think you could have a hand in it when it comes to Broadway? No, I'm doing, so I'm working on Gun and Powder at Paper Mill oh, at the yes! same time. Yeah, our wow. processes are the same time. We open on the same day. It's crazy. Whoa. Oh yeah. I'm so excited about Gun and Powder. So excited. I, I am too. And I'm very my, excited for Lampika, but it's pod. like, <gasps> I love Mary Claire. Me too. Oh my God. No, I'm really excited about Lampika, but I think the best part about it is because I haven't worked on it since I was an intern in 2018, which is kind of lovely because I've just gotten to be a fan of it. You know, like I yeah. just get to. I just get to enjoy it and not like, mm-hmm. it's not my job. I just get to go and like be a fan of this like piece of work that I've watched grow. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really excited to just like sit in the audience and just be like. That's so cool. <laughs> do, you know, do you remember who, who did the, the role when you did it? Oh, it was Eden. Oh, it was Eden from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is sickening. <laughs> I live. Uh, okay. What about, do you have a least favorite musical? Oh my god! <laughs> no, you know I've never like left a musical at intermission. I can't. Me so either. I don't believe in that. So I like don't know if I'd have a least favorite musical. Is it Footloose? Um, because that's mine. It was not Footloose. I was a little <laughs> disappointed with Anastasia. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. I was saddened because I felt like. My Petersburg was the best song in the whole show. And I'm like, it's not about him. I agree. <laughs> it's not about him. It's not and about look, you. And look, Mr. Klena gave us everything. He gave us he everything. Did. He gave the vocals. It was, I was living. I was like. Come on. But I was like, it's not about you. And you guys also <laughs> got rid of Bartok. Like, what the hell? I, what I don't are you know. doing? No, I don't. I was, I was saddened by <laughs> Anastasia the musical for that reason, but alas. Um, okay, what about do you prefer stage managing a play or a musical? A musical. Fierce. Definitely a musical. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Oh, a night owl. Me too, baby. Even being up for noon, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what Scott Frankel said. Um, what is, or can you think of the craziest thing that a director has ever asked you to do? I wouldn't say this is crazy. Um, it was actually really wonderful. And it was the first time I felt that like my position could have any sort of like 
creative importance in the room. When I was doing the New Englanders, the the play opens with this black dad and his black daughter on like their front porch. And the, they were talking and they're like, we need them to be doing something. Like maybe he's like, like twisting her hair or something. And like, no one in the room knew how to do that. Like the actress knew how to do it, but like to teach the the black man to do it was different. And I was like, do you want me to show you? And they were like, yeah. And like, I was like a PA, like 22. It was like really interesting to like be in this moment in this rehearsal room teaching this man how to twist this woman's hair um, to like have this moment on stage where like he is like this, this father is twisting his, her daughter's hair. And Sahim was like, if, yeah, like, please go. Like, if you want to teach them, please go. And right. so it was, it was like also just one of those moments where like the three of us was like three black people in a room been like, I don't think I've ever done this in a rehearsal room. Like it's very yeah. interesting. And it was really like lovely. And I really enjoyed wow. it. That's wild. Well, and I mean, you know, of course, this is a whole other conversation, but like what a a true just like eye opener for everyone in the room that like, oh, wow, um, our whiteness, you know, is really showing here because we don't know what we're fucking talking about. (laughs) I mean, both both that, but then also like, like Sahim is not a is not a white man and Uh and and Tegel, who was playing the, the dad is not a white man, but like they're both men. Right. So it's like they don't right. have that thought process of like what it is to do hair in that way uh-huh. because whether you're gay or straight like i feel like being male and being a father usually like takes you out of like things that are considered a woman's work right right so right. it was just like that moment of like me and this actress like we've done this we've had this done to us like this is so wow. deeply part of our own cultures of course um, it was just, I don't know, it was just such a, like a lovely moment in the room. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, do you have a favorite show that you have ever worked on? <laughs> Outed on the podcast. I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I PSM'd a, a workshop, not a workshop. It was like a fully, fully realized uh, show called Soft by a playwright named Donnie A.R. Love. And it was like a fellowship project at Williamstown in 2019. And that has forever been like a piece of work that has stuck with me. It's about a group of young Black boys in a juvenile detention center. And they lose one of their members who um, commits suicide. And like through the course of the play, you discover... Like, he was in, like, a closeted relationship, and it talks about, you know, like, what it means for Black men to be soft, what it means for Black queer men to be able to, like, really, like, sit in their queerness and love their queerness and, like, just get to live and be. And it is by far one of the best things I've ever had the opportunity to work on, and it was so lovely. It happened here, I think, at, at Atlantic um in like 20 21 maybe um but i i I really hope that that one comes back around because i think it is a a phenomenal piece of work yeah that sounds amazing 
Um, what about the hardest show that you have ever worked on? One and two. I did a play called One and Two, also by Donye Our Love. Um, that was, it's like a, a play, there's like this like simulation where the audience chose which of the three actors played what role that night. So like it was uh. the, like the character names were like number one, number two, and number three. And by applause, the, act, the audience chose who played number one, number two, and number three. Oh um, my God. So that was one of those things where we backstage just sat there waiting to see who chose what. And then it was like, pull costume, pull prop, throw it in this like thing. Cause they were also in an enclosed white box. Right. So they, they never exited the stage. We had to give them everything through like certain like hidey holes oh that were put God. in the set. So it was a very interesting, I, I'm still proud of that paperwork to this day. Like, <laughs> It was an interesting show to like do all this paperwork with and then also um, just to just keep track of. It was just insane. Right. Um, and I think that it has taught me basically like 70% of like my stage management knowledge has come from that sure. show. The absolute crash course in stage management. Yeah, it was <laughs> phenomenal. Wow. Well, my darling Tia, my last question for you is, what is one thing that you would tell baby Tia? Oh, God. That you made the right choice. (gasps) I love that. That I made the right choice. Because at first I was going to go to school to be an OBGYN. Um, I really wanted to deliver babies and... I took a trip to New York. I'd always done theater. I'd always really liked it. But I wasn't necessarily sure that, like, that was something that, like, I could make into a life. And Nancy Nias, my middle school theater teacher, and Shelby O'Claire Snyder, my high school theater teacher, um, were the two women that were like, people do this. Like, people do this as, like, a full-time job. I'm like, "Mm, no. And they're like, no, people do this and you could do this. And I think about them often every time I'm on something new because I'm like, I don't think I would have made that choice without their influence. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I would just tell younger me that, like, it's it's working out. It's not that it's easy, but it's working out. And And I think that there's, like, so much still to look forward to and that she made the right choice. Period. Well, Tia, thank you so, so much for being on the pod. I just adore you. Would you tell the listeners where they can find you on socials and keep up with all of your good things happening? The socials? Um, I am incredibly active on Instagram. Um, I don't have anything else, really. <laughs> I but, know that about um, Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Jake knows all about my hot and talented friends um, Instagram <laughs> series that I host because I have a lot of hot and talented friends. Um, but yeah, my Instagram is at tia.h.millington. Period. And that's and where you can find me. Put it in the description of the episode so everyone can find you. You guys, that's it for another episode of Oh My Pod, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to the pod. And you can follow the show on Instagram at Oh My Pod, you guys. Talk soon. Bye. Oh my God, oh my God, you guys!
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.